And so this week we're talking about, we're talking continuing in the grace um, series. Uh, I want to read a quote for you by Martin Luther King. <coughs> Some of you got Monday off unless you went to Atlantic Shores, and then they took Martin Luther King Day because they don't love Jesus. Um, all right, so don't tell them I said that. Uh, Martin Luther King quote. This is what he says. Darkness can dr- not drive out darkness. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What he's saying is you can't get rid of haters by hating them. That it takes something different. Like what kind of love does it take? What does that love look like to extinguish the hate that we see in this world, in this country, in this city, in our schools. Like, what does that love look like that extinguishes hate? I believe that it looks like grace. That that kind of love looks like grace. It's not, it's not love that's dependent on someone else's actions. It's not love that, that is required, that, that someone earns or, or pays you back. It's unearned and it's undeserved favor. <clears throat> that extinguishes hate. Tonight we're, we're talking about this grace. And, and, and what I love about that thought that Martin Luther King kind of presents us with, and this thought that, that grace would extinguish hate, is, is that means that, that it is grace that brings peace. That grace and grace alone can bring peace. I, I We talked last week about how God sent Jesus to adopt us, that he died on the cross for our sins, that we would ever believe in him and would trust him with their life could find new life. And, And that that was grace, that God said, here is my grace, that mercy says, hey, I'm not gonna punish you for what you should have been punished for. And grace says, uh, mercy says, man, you're guilty. I'm not gonna punish you. And grace says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe away the guilt and I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve, which is a clean slate, which is a new life. And so it, it is grace that, that says then that you matter, that, that Jesus didn't die on the cross for things that didn't matter, but he died for you because why? You matter. And he says, so, so you matter to him. And he says, and, and in me, <clears throat> and in me you find new life, and in me you find love, that grace will always bring peace. That it's, I think it's hard for you to find um, in your life a spot that is peaceful that doesn't have an injection of grace in it. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit more in a second, but I want you to think about that. That there is no spot in your life that has like long-term peace that grace isn't a part of. Romans 8 says this, it's 8, 6. It says, for to set your mind on the flesh, for to set your mind on the flesh. This word flesh also could be translated as human nature. And if you, if you, uh, defined human nature, this is what it would say, the ways of thinking, acting, and reacting that are common to most or all human beings. 
So the, to set your minds on the human nature, on the things that are common to us, on the things that are common for us to act that aren't set apart, but are the things that people would expect uh, you to react, like the ways people would expect you to react, right? Someone offends you, they expect you what? To offend back. Someone uh, makes fun of you, they expect you what? To defend yourself and then make fun of back. Someone belittles you, they expect you to belittle them. Someone gives you bad service at a restaurant, they expect you to tip them less, right? It is the way our human nature says, here's how you preserve yourself. Here's how you succeed in life. He says to set your mind on the way of the human nature on the flesh is death. To set your mind on that way leads to death. It doesn't lead to further life. It doesn't lead to further success, though human nature wants to tell you that. It says, man, it leads to death. But hear this. But to set the mind or the spirit, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So to set your mind on the human nature, on the things that are common to man, on the things the way we should react, he says, no, that is human nature and that leads to death. But to set your mind on the spirit, on the Holy Spirit in you, Ephesians 1.13, we said last week that when you come to know Jesus, there's a miracle that happens within you and that you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, and the Holy Spirit seals you that it's an unbreakable seal, that, that you can't be robbed of the Holy Spirit. You can't be robbed of God's presence. I want you to hear this in your life all the time. Some of you feel alone because you trust your feelings and your feelings aren't always right. You need to know that. The feelings don't determine truth. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, he says, man, no, I'm, I'm inside of you. I'm living and dwelling in you all the time. And he says, so to live by the Spirit, to be obedient to the Spirit, to set your mind, that's what he means, to be obedient to. He says, to be obedient to the Spirit living in you is life and is peace. That the Spirit is a reflection of God's grace. That it is a gift of God that we did not earn or deserve. So here's what I'm saying. is It's a reflection of God's grace. So to know that you have God's grace in your life and in you, evidence of God's grace. And he says, man, that grace always brings peace. That grace will always bring peace. He says the Spirit in you is God's grace soaked in God's grace. It's, it's made up. Its DNA is the grace of God. The thing you unearned, undeserved favor. He says, but I love you and, and you trust in me and I give you my Holy Spirit. He says, man, and, and then it seals you. He says, and the Spirit brings life and brings peace. I've never seen I've never seen a, a clearer example of human nature versus the Spirit of God uh, other than in my mom. That in 1993, we moved to uh, Pearland, Texas, and they call it Pearland because there were at one time a lot of pears. Here's the ironic thing about that. We actually had a pear in our backyard there, is that you can't eat the pears because they're terrible, and they're like hard as rocks. And so it was like Pearland, but it's like they're, they're awful. And so we live, we moved to Pearland, but here's what you need to know. I used to live in Kerrville, Texas before I moved to Pearland, Texas. And as podunk as Pearland sounds, Kerrville made Pearland look like a big city. And so what you understand is this country family moves to what I thought was a big city, right? I'm not used to wearing shirts at all at this time. Like I didn't really own that many shirts. I wore cowboy boots, shorts, and that was it. And that was my attire for the day. I didn't care where I was going. And so we move into this neighborhood, 
And obviously we begin to get some looks from some different neighbors. And we begin to get some, some people who, who obviously didn't like us. I don't know if it was, it was because of the way we looked or, or maybe things we may have said, or maybe it was just because we were new. That there was neighbors there that didn't like us and human nature took over for them, right? And they did what was normal to man, what was normal to human nature, and they began to write us off. I told y'all last week that you could convince yourself if you chose to that someone didn't matter. Often we do that when they offend us. That someone offends us and we say, doesn't matter to me anymore. I don't care about them. I don't care if they live. I don't care if they die. I don't care if I see them. I don't care where, if they succeed. I don't care if they're homeless. I'll write them off. We said, thankfully, even in our offenses, God didn't write us off. But human nature says when someone's offensive to you, that you should just write them off. And so human nature was taking over with some of my neighbors and they were writing us off. And so my mom had the opportunity, my dad had the opportunity to one, let human nature take over, which brings hostility, or two, to live by the spirit, which brings life and peace and to trust God that man, God is your word true, let's prove it. And so I remember we had this neighbor, her name was Miss Bush. Miss Bush was like uh, super skinny, very old, like a thousand. And she had this dog named Spike and Spike was about this big. And it was the nastiest dog you've ever seen. It had like the real wiry hair. And Spike, man, poor dog, would run past her curb into the street. And me being like a third grader would walk outside and I would hear the worst cuss words I've ever heard as she is cussing Spike out because he would not come back to the yard. And I'm like in a Christian house, right? And so I walk outside and my mom's like, okay, come back inside. <laughs> Spike's outside, right? So it was like, I couldn't go outside if Spike was outside because Miss Bush was cussing at Spike, smoking a cigarette, right? While she was outside. That was Miss Bush. So I remember one day my mom was making um, chocolate meringue pie. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. She does not make a lot of things well. But what she does make well is chocolate meringue pie. I know, I feel rude saying that about my mom, but I love her, but she just didn't cook that well. All right, so she made chocolate meringue pie and she brought it out and I was like, oh mom, when are we cutting into this pie? And she said, no, this isn't, this isn't for you, this is for the neighbor. I said, okay, she said, come on, we're gonna go take this to the neighbor. And, I, and so I remember walking outside and I said, well, what, where are we going? And Miss Bush lived in a pink house. I'll never forget it. She lived in a pink house, kind of like across a couple streets, but we lived on a corner so we could kind of see her and hear her when she was talking to Spike so sweetly. And so we, we start walking towards Miss Bush's house. And I remember like adamantly, like, mom, where are we going? And she's like, we're going over to Miss Bush's house. And it was like that point, like, I was that kid when I would get nervous that my kneecaps would start shaking. I don't know if that happens to anyone. I think it's only me. But literally, if like I was caught in a lie, like my kneecaps were like up and down, up and down, up and down, right? And so I'm like, okay, mom, like, I don't wanna, uh, I don't wanna go to Miss Bush's house. And she said, no, we're going to Miss Bush's house. And I said, mom, do you hear the way she talks to Spike? And she said, yes. And I said, she is going to murder us. And she said, no, no, it's fine. And so we get to Miss Bush's house and she like knocks on the door 
And it was like knocking on the throne of Satan, right? And I may have had an, a vivid imagination as a child. And, and Miss Bush comes to the door. And after, right, this is after Spike, poor Spike, starts barking because we knocked on the door, normal dog. And then you hear like, and my mom's like plugging my ears. Okay, <laughs> right? And then she gets to the door, sees a little kid, doesn't stop, opens the door. And then my mom said, hi, Miss Bush. We are new to the neighborhood. And uh, we brought you this pie. And you see Mrs. Bush's face go from like sheer anger and it melts to like confusion of like, wait, what? And she, you know, she's like checking like, am I going crazy? Uh, you're the redneck family. That kid actually has a shirt on today, right? And then, <laughs> and then, and then she begins, like a miracle happens and she cracks like not a full smile, but like a half smile, like, hmm, like she smelt the pie and, or she had gas. I don't know what happened, um, like a baby. Um, but then she took the pie. What was amazing is she never cussed at me again. She cussed at Spike a lot, but never me again. Like she was like our friend for a lifetime. They say like you don't take a gun to a, like you don't take a knife, like you take a gun to a knife fight, right? Like they, like man, like you brought a gun to a knife fight, you must have won, right? Like if you go to a knife fight, like you take a knife or another gun. My mom went to a knife fight and some of you have heard this story before on a Sunday morning if you came. Uh, my mom took uh, to a knife fight a pie. She took a pie to a knife fight. Miss Bush was ready to, with her words, cut us up. Maybe with her actions, some of us have people in our life that you are like anxious about seeing them because you know they may physically or verbally just slice and dice you, right? And Miss Bush was ready to do that, but my mom didn't bring a knife to a knife fight. She brought a pie to a knife fight. And what happens when you bring a pie to a knife fight is that you don't end up getting stabbed, but you generally take that knife and then you cut the pie and then you eat it and everyone wins when you bring a pie to a knife fight. That that's what grace looks like. That I've never clear, seen clearly more this, this, the, the consequences of human nature versus living by the Spirit. And Jesus says, man, if you obey the Spirit in you, if you've come to know me, then you have the Spirit in you. And if you begin to listen to my direction in your life, then you find life and you find peace. That grace brings peace. That in your life, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to allow human nature to take over. You're going to have a lot of chances to let what is normal, what people will say, man, that's totally, you, yeah, you absolutely, no one's going to blame you if you bully that kid. No one's gonna blame you if you lash back out. You don't deserve the way you've been treated. And when you do that, you'll always find hostility. God says, man, no, I've given you the spirit to live in you so that you would not find further hostility, but that you would find life and that you would find peace. He says in Ephesians 2, we were in Ephesians last week, 
And we're gonna be in Ephesians next week a little bit. He says in Ephesians 2, if you go down to verse 18, he says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who for since the beginning of time have not gotten along. Jews thinking they were God's chosen people and were special. God saying, no, you're my chosen people that you may show my power to others. And Gentiles saying, we're coming to know Jesus, but yet we don't get along with Jews because Jews feel like they're chosen people and Gentiles feel like they're outsiders. If you right now went to Israel, you are a Gentile. That's what you need to know, that you are not a chosen person according to scripture, according to the Old Testament and the New Testament, because you are not a Jew. And this is what God said and what Paul was writing via God's words. He said, through him, we both have access to the spirit, that we are the same members now, that God, Jesus dying on the cross for our sin has torn down the walls that separated us from us and them, that now we should not see people anymore as us and them, but you should see people as one of two ways, either knowing Jesus or needing Jesus. He says, your grace should abound that the Holy Spirit living in you should push you to have grace with other people, to to preserve peace with other people through grace. He says, because now you don't, you're not separated. In this group, you're not separated by what school you go to or what friend group you hang out in. Those are the separations. Those are the walls we build up in ourselves. But he says, no, now you are one people. Because Jesus died for all of you. So you're members of one. And then he goes on as we close. He says, built on the foundation, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So he says, so all of us together, are growing in to a holy temple of the Lord. That we are one people representing the church. But then he goes on. He says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He says, so the Holy Spirit living in you is building you into a dwelling place individually. So he says, individually, each of you are a temple. Individually, each of you are someone that God is dwelling in if you have trusted in Jesus, that the Spirit is dwelling in you. And this word dwelling means to be making himself at home. So when you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, when you feel direction from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm preparing a place for me to dwell in your heart so that I feel at home in your heart so that you find full life and full peace. He said, man, I am at work in you. That that's the Holy Spirit's role. I don't know if you know that. You feel conviction and he's saying, man, no, I'm, I'm cleansing you of the things that are not pleasing to me, of the things that are are." Um, in line with human nature so that you may live by the spirit that I would feel at home in you. 
And so he says that you are each individual little temples. He said that I am making into one giant temple. That last week we said you are poured over with grace. And this week he's saying, and the Holy Spirit living in you, the representation of God's grace in you is filling you with grace so that everything you should do will ooze God's grace. That you should be someone who is leaving a drag strip of grace behind you, of unearned and undeserved favor for people that they say, man, why do they love me so well when I hated them? Why do they care for me when I don't know them? What's different about them that everything about your life, if we are truly being a place where God is dwelling and filling at home, where we are representing God through grace? Man, that is the place where we find peace in this world. You want this world to change, the city to change, the school to change, your life to change. Start injecting grace into every part you can. He says, man, because grace brings peace. As we close, I'm going to invite you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And the band's going to come up and we're going to sing one more song in a minute. I just want you to visualize this. I I was outside with uh, my son Levi the other day, and he's two years old. And we were walking from the car to inside, and I was holding him. And he looks up in the sky, and he says, Daddy, an airplane. And I look up. I don't even know how far it was, but it was just like like a pinpoint airplane. But the reason he saw the airplane even so far away being such a little kid was because the airplane was leaving a jet stream behind it. It was probably 20 miles long. And so he followed the jet stream and found the airplane. That I believe our lives should be representing or should look a lot like that airplane that we should have a jet stream of grace behind us, that because of our life, people should follow the trail and be able to find Jesus. That it should be that kind of grace.